Kevin's still pissed about the drone, so he sent me down to Tactical Distributors. I'm like the intern janitor or something. But, so I'm in the warehouse. It's pretty cool though. They got like hundreds of brands of stuff. They got like Altama, Sitka gear. They got everything. Like check some of this stuff out. I was looking through earlier. They got like Barrel Concepts, little mag holders, you know. This one was cool. They got Solomon. So like Solomons are normally pretty expensive, but TacticalDistributors.com, Unpossible 15 gets you 15% off. It's not expensive anymore. This one they got MTHD. It's like their in-house thing. It's super cool. It's kind of like Patagonia. It's just like it's a new thing. Jay, it's really cool. Come on, man. I told you. You want me to call Kevin? No, no, no. Check it out. Okay, so we're back today. Fresh off Dave Kramer, Special Operations Care Fund and Magpul. We're here with a good friend, Wayne Weber. So I've known Wayne for, I don't know, probably 60 or 70 years. He's an old son of a gun. He is also a southern brother from Louisiana. So Wayne uh, was in the Air Force, taught people how to use guns and whatnot, goes to H&K. So spends, I don't know, two and a half decades there, becomes the president of H&K USA for a long time. He has the best Denzel Washington smile in the gun industry. He's the nicest motherfucker you will meet. It makes you sick. And Wayne Weber and his partner Jim Schatz at H&K inspired me. When I talk about me loving H&K when I was a kid and got in the industry, their demos H&K Weapon Systems, YouTube that stuff right now. It is classic Americana firearms. Their demos were incredible. Those guys in Reed Knight inspired me. And Wayne had the pleasure, the opportunity. He was so lucky. The golden age of firearms and the greatest gun company probably in the history of the world, H&K. He was there in the prime. So the MP5s, the MP7s, the 416s, the GMG. My man, you watch the videos or you see the magazine ads. He's on the belt back. Renee, that's Wayne Weber. So he's here. We're going to ask him all kinds of hard questions. Appreciate you tuning in. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, God dang it. Hey, you all right, buddy? So, yeah, hydrated. So we're back. You know, one thing that I hate, Dave brought these and we forgot to mention them. Mm. So Sock F, like when you show up, this was from the last event. Every day. <laughs> he like gets on our ass and he's over there. <laughs> what was he doing the other day? He's Opening like building a stage shit, set yeah. or something. <laughs> Had a hammer and nails. He's dancing and shit. <laughs> yeah, practicing his dance move. Um, so when you go to Sock F, like, this is every special operations guy that had their, their call sign, which we've talked about before yeah. with the alcohol that they gave us. But look at that. I mean, you got snot there, everybody. But uh, um, 50-something, we talked about in the podcast. Yeah, it was like 52. That was pretty cool. So he brought this to us. Um, but, yeah, if you show up to the uh, to one of their SOCF events, you're going to bid on stuff, whatever. You get one of these awesome magazines. So That's thank awesome. you, Dave Kramer. Everyone gets one of those? Yeah. Holy shit. And then, um, so we didn't even pull these out yesterday. He brought them to I know, us. Yeah, they're cool. So these Magpul, you got some there. Yep. 
What are those? Uh, these are the Explorers. Oh, shit. Look at these. Is that what he was wearing this week? Uh, yeah, I think I they're all the same. Yeah, try, the, try those on. I guess these cases are crazy. What do you think? Ooh. So, Wayne Weber. Like oh, my God. Like you Terminator. look so good. <laughs> You you, well, these are, these are you yours because so I can't, good in those. I can't I can't fuck with that. These are Wayne's now. Wow. That's, a, that's the thumbnail. I'm gonna look like a troll. Your lady's gonna oh love those. <laughs> <laughs> look at that, freaking 22 year old Wayne Weber in here. Okay, hide she, your ladies. Wayne's in town. MP5s upside down. Um, yeah. So Jay, we get, we got our buddy Wayne Weber here today. Yes, sir. So um, I don't. I've known Wayne a very long time. So he's going to run through his background. But Wayne, so the company that I hate the most, the worst guns ever, H&K, Wayne was the U.S. president for a long time. Gross. And worked his way up. But it's so funny. I'm so glad to have you here so the haters that think I hate H&K can hear from you a different story. And we were watching earlier the uh, H&K weapon system demo video, 30-minute video. You guys go to YouTube. We'll put the link below. I, I mean, so. that is some classic Americana gun company. But it is those videos and Wayne Weber and his partner, Jim Schatz at H&K, and I say it all the time, those two guys and Reed Knight are what made me want to be in guns. And you guys saw that video a minute ago. We watched it before we came in here. If you're not in guns, that'll get you into guns. My son, oh, he lost it. He oh, loves that. So what, what was that, 1994, that video? That was about 95. 95? when I was born. 95. So it's when the USPs came out. It's got you guys shooting the belt feds. Wayne Weber, Ma Co yeah, call sign Maverick, <laughs> shooting MP5 upside down all the way around. I mean, the stuff that you guys did in those videos. Still carried the Benelli shotguns at the time. Oh, yeah. Benelli shotguns. But shooting the belt feds, just, just yeah, pull it over to you if you want. Hey, he gets, yeah, he moves, gets real pissy about um, But... Yeah, I rem I mean, it's so weird seeing that video, and it looks like it was a hundred years ago because yeah. because of the yeah. production quality and everything. And because of my hair. Yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Um, but you know, just the the terrible production quality of all videos yeah. back then. Yeah. But but it was I, cool. It's like authentically oh, cool. So cool. You guys dressed up like you with that crazy sheriff's hat when you're shooting the Benelli in oh, the videos. That yeah. that is some, yeah. Well, I could just, shoot. I, I wasn't an actor. I'm not. That's not my forte. But it, I guess it would be easier to have somebody that can shoot do the other roles in there, the theatrics, if you will. Well, in those videos, it's it, it's glaringly obvious when it's you or Jim shooting, and it's some of those other clowns. Shooting. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one grip. There was someone one like their support hand uh, and a thumb or a finger up like by the. It was weird. And he did it a few times. Like, What's going on? Yeah. I mean, they're shooters and not shooters. But, I mean, I remember it so funny because in that video, you guys talking about the USP. And I remember the hype when the USP, we were waiting on it to come to market. Yes. And that was so long ago. And then the MP5, 10 millimeter, all the belt so beds. Cool. Ah, the little. Uh, GMG. Oh, the GM. That was Wayne's thing. So, like, all the magazine articles, all the ads. All the videos, it, you know, if it you would see Jim shots with the HK twenty one over his head, holding the bipod leg in the front, like giving it hell. Wayne was doing the inversion <laughs> shoot with the MP five, and he's on the GMG, cut, 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 the forty millimeter belt fed. That, man, I mean that. 
yeah. companies suck now. They don't do marketing say, like that. Was that like was that the the golden years for you guys? Like or the golden years golden those, years for guns? The- I think in large part those were the golden years because one of the things that we touted at the time was we were uh, the most extensive firearms manufacturer in the world. I mean, we offered everything yeah. in the handguns, submachine guns, rifles, carbines, shotguns, grenade launchers, sniper rifles, grenade machine guns. We Belt offered the machine full, guns. everything, yeah. you name it. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, because don't even think about the sniper stuff, the PSG-1. I mean, that's, sure. that's the, the OG. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I remember back then it was so insanely expensive, 10 grand for that package. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah. And, oh, kick myself for not buying one now. you couldn't touch one that was rusted out right now for less than that right oh, now. Uh, yeah i would imagine they're 20 25 thou. i oh, have yeah. no idea yeah. cool. well so jay i went through hk's armors course like the full-on course in in 97 and went to h and k and I, I don't know how long we've known each other i know i've known you know i knew jim shots i don't know probably before then i guess but, you know, I remember, like, part of the course, and I'm probably making this up. I think this is right. Like, the, the whole, like, MP5 armors course, or maybe there was armor. It's like, uh, and maybe it was USPs, too, but it was like a week long. And Correct. The, and then the three-shot burst trigger pack course was like a week long. That's exactly right. <sighs> that, the burst course was very difficult. Remember, the, is it, what, what's it called? Uh, eccentric, the sea creature. The eccentric bushing. Oh, that's, oh, that's what? Yes. So I think what's his name Gary Gary Gregory yeah Gary Gregory yes. it was the armor um, he called it the sea creature and that <laughs> that was the three shot burst trigger pack if you got one that goes down throw it in the garbage get you another one that's all I'm saying yeah okay well um, Wayne I'm so excited you came up it is so good to see you. a pleasure to be here it's long overdue yeah yeah I agree he's always had the best smile on guns too. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, well, dude, tell tell us yours because because these young punks they they don't know nothing about HK no, for I've real. Only, or I've only known about HK and I've seen a bunch and I always thought they were cool, but I don't know much about them. Well, <laughs> I was I was a firearms instructor in the Air Force. Uh, I did that for about seven years. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, sorry. Yes. All right. You grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm born and raised. Okay, so high school. Then what happens? I had no interest in guns, no experience with guns. I grew up in the city. Yep, uh, I feel you. Nowhere near the country. Uh, my dad was from the country, but I was, I'm a city boy. Um, never really got to shoot at all as a young kid, other than maybe an occasional BB gun. Yeah, me too. Uh, I was right after high school. I worked for about a year, and then I decided I wanted to, and went to college, and decided I wanted to join the military. Didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was young, enthusiastic, patriotic, and wanted to do something in the military exciting. So in basic training, you get three choices. My first choice, and this dates me, dates me a little bit, B-52 tail gunner. Oh. <laughs> it sounds cool, but risky. Yes. My second choice was pararescue. Good luck. Have my, fun. My third choice was combat arms instructor, which is what I was chosen to do. And... That became my job. I, again, I didn't have a firearms background, so after basic training in San Antonio, I went to tech school in Lackland in San Antonio. Yeah. Um, guns was new to me, uh, so I had to learn it from scratch at that point. Yeah. And, uh, and I tried to learn it as best as I could. And after yeah, tech so school, you're like 19, 20 years old. About uh, 20 years old, yes. Yeah. Um, 
Why did you pick the Air Force? Uh, my brother was in the Air Force, oh. and when I would go to visit him at various bases, he just seemed to have the coolest life. And I was very close to joining the Marine Corps uh, because I was in great shape you know, back yeah. then and wanted to do something tough, and I was about to join the Marine Corps, and your brother's like, hold up. Hold no, up. he had nothing oh. to do with it. But the Marine Corps recruiter just annoyed me. He said something that pissed me off. And I was like, okay, I'll go in the Air Force. I mean, with my ASVAB scores, I could have gone to any branch. But yeah. I'm like, okay, I can, I'll do something different. I don't need to go in the Marine Corps. Yeah. So I decided to join the Air Force and um, started getting into guns. When that became my job, not having a gun background, I wanted to do more, as much as I could, to learn firearms. Yeah. So when you realize that's what you're going. When do. I realized, plus I was an instructor. I was going to be standing in front of people, teaching them different very aspects of the guns that they were going to be getting yeah. the training on. Not having that background, I wanted to take every aspect of firearms knowledge I could and just absorb it. So I started buying gun magazines. Uh, started buying pistols, started shooting, started shooting competitively, and that's the same thing. I just see you, you don't realize now it's so easy, and I'm so jealous and envious <coughs> of you young kids because you can do. We just look up a stuff from the '90s on YouTube, <laughs> yeah. and you can watch the videos. Like we used to have to yes. buy, just like with skateboarding, we talked about. You have to buy the magazine, look at it, and then yes. see what they're doing, right. and yeah, no, it I was mean, read about it. That's the only way you got knowledge. You couldn't. Yeah, I had to do it the hard way. I mean. But I loved it. I, it became my passion, and it still is to this day. But my daily job was Air Force Firearms Instructor. Uh, in the evenings and on weekends, I had a part-time job at a gun store as a range master. I just I couldn't get it out of my system. Yeah. That's all I ever wanted to do, and that's all. It, it's, it's definitely an addiction and been a lifetime love affair for it me is. as well. It is. But it started out of necessity in my mind because yeah. I wanted to have the knowledge just in case somebody asked me a question that wasn't in my U.S. Air Force program of instruction. I just wanted to have the experience of, yes, I shoot this, I shoot that, this is what this type of bullet does, et cetera, et cetera. So that became my passion, and I kind well, of lost it. I mean, I think it's like, you know, a lot of people, you probably would have been successful at whatever. I mean, anybody that is, well, is that you. driven. Yeah, um, you're welcome. And I mean, and I see it too. I mean, once I got bit by the gun bug, sure. I mean, I just my entire life is devoted and, and and i don't know if you're like me but i i see now you know 30 years later i know two percent of what i hope to know <laughs> it, it, but yeah i mean just the experience and and i tell you my passion was driven just i mean seriously the magazine ads the videos of sure. seeing you guys i mean for me not going into the military it's like that's the coolest stuff ever like mm -hmm. h and k every other gun company is a joke <laughs> It's good marketing. I mean, we were watching your video a minute ago. It, it's like such great marketing. Yeah. And all the big lane gun companies, they would never allow you to do that stuff now. Well, I mean, you, you had to take it professionally. I mean, you had to know what you were doing. And if you didn't, you at least had to have the wherewithal to ask someone to yeah. make sure you got it right. Yeah. Was that also, though, like for you, was maybe not that video specifically, but that style of video, was that, or was HK the first company that you saw that was kind of, promoting guns in a tactical sense as opposed to just like grandpa's hunting gun or whatever like winchester's no, marketing was never like that I, I don't know that well maybe yeah they were one of the first tactical companies that promoted that but i think it was more just the presentation of you know there's magazine ads maybe we'll find it we'll put up on the screen now where 
And I think, are you guys standing in there? It's like the HK vans and all the guns out on I've the ground. Yeah, that someone posted that. And it's like, it was really what cool. the hell? It's like they got an 18 van and all these machine guns. And then you, you see the demos of them, you know, and not just saying, oh, you know, the gun shoots at this rate of fire. Okay, I'm going to lay down everybody's quick. You know, but it's like Jim holding it over his head. You know, Wayne shooting, doing the inversion on the MP5, <laughs> doing the stuff with the shotguns. Um, you know, you guys had that shotgun shooter for the Benelli thing can yes. do all these crazy trick shots and stuff and just presenting guns in a, that's incredible. It's different. It's badass and tactical, right. but not just, not just the technical stuff, which you get an abundance of with H and K, but look at what this can do. And I'm not just going to tell you what it can do, but look at me doing it. Yeah. You know, Jim coming out of the water shooting sure. or yeah. wh- whatever it was. Sure. It was just nobody else. I mean, it was. It was a mix between like a gun company and a company that made spaceships and <laughs> an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Even the aesthetic, like uh, when we were, I say we, when Tommy and Colin and everyone, when they were building the website, there was, I found an ad. And it was either for the 53 or the 91, but the the gradient on the page, it was just, it was like the silhouette. It was kind of floating. It was very similar to what our website looks like now. And it's not that... Like, I don't think any of those guys saw it, and we're like, oh, let's do that. But I saw it, and I was like, this is crazy. Like, super oh, yeah, ahead the, of its time. The bright colors. Yeah, and yeah. 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 it's like an orange gradient. Super ahead of its time. I mean, so, so much cool. I mean, it made me go and, you know, scrounging through my stuff that I've brought to New Hampshire, and you see, like, the HK stuff, like the targeting camera. Some people say confirmed kill camera that went on the 308 guns. You know, the P9S, the MP5SD, the P7s, the P9S. I mean, just I want to talk about roller locking stuff, the HK silencers from the 90s. Oh, my God, so many things. So I'm excited. Well, it's, it's funny because my, uh, my Air Force career actually parla- was parlayed into my career at HK. Um, yeah, so, so your firearms instructing, what happens? How do you get to HK? While I was, I was stationed at Nellis Air Force Base, Nevada, uh, north Las Vegas area. Beautiful area. And, um, and I was TDY at Fort Benning for a year and a half during the Army's ACR test, Advanced Combat Rifle. Oh, yeah. So uh, once I got there, there was a combination of Air Force instructors and Army instructors that were going to be the cadre to teach these prototype weapons to the guinea pigs, per se. Yeah. It just so happened that I was assigned to the HK team. And a part of the HK staff was Jim Schatz and a guy by the name of Volker Kurtz. Oh, Volker. From Jerk. I don't, he I don't was a badass. I know Volker. was. Yeah, smoking cigarettes exactly. the whole time. He did a demo, did everything. He's like cool, old man. school German. Yeah, I, I, he just changed smoke like Andrew Dice Clay. Exactly. And he'd be doing demos, smoking a cigarette. Yeah. And he's, and Shorty was his nickname. Yeah. Kurtz for short in yeah. German. But uh, a great guys, and, and they did a wonderful job of, of training us to prepare to train the soldiers and, and airmen. But... I got to teach the HKACR, which was the version of the G11 that was configured for that program, for a year and a half. You talk about an experience. That was remarkable. Yeah, the because I know the Colt ACR, which, you know, their program, Reed has it in his museum. Correct. And there's so many features on that that are now on guns. And oh, yeah. You know, the SOP mod stock, all this stuff came from that gun. Sure. Seems like their program had that long rib on the top. It did. It did? It did yes. So like a shotgun sort of swing, you see. It's, I, it's like a trap shotgun with yeah. the, the high rib. It, yeah, it, so it didn't long. look like a traditional infantry rifle. No, no, but the G11, talk about different. 
You, you talk get about, assigned to that, so that's oh, getting goodness. thrown in the deep end. You talk about not looking like a traditional rifle. It didn't look like a firearm. It looked more like a video camera than a firearm. Yeah. 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 Kind it's of, probably, is it in video games now? Probably. It should it be because it's at, so at weird. At certain points, it definitely was, yeah. but it's, I mean, I don't think most people know enough about it to put it in stuff. Yeah. What's special about it? Well, the, first of all, the ammunition. It fired caseless ammunition. Uh, it had a probably the most unique operating system of any firearm or any rifle that I've ever seen in my life. Scary complex looking. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. Um, the ammunition was caseless. There was no brass casing. Uh, the propellant was a body that formed the casing itself. Mm-hmm. The bullet was inside of the casing, held together by a plastic cap. The primer was combustible. So when the round went off, there was nothing left in the chamber. The bullet left the muzzle you know, standard ballistics of a 62-grain bullet nowadays. The plastic cap kind of held everything in place, and that came out of the barrel, pretty much melted about 10 feet or so and dropped to the ground. Yeah. But uh, but the bolt system, was, which is what was part of what made it so very unique, it did not use a traditional linear-style bolt system. It yeah. used a rotary bolt system that had two positions, a feed position, which was vertical, and a fire position, horizontal. And... It was fed by a 45-round magazine, horizontally mounted on top of the rifle. So like the uh, FN P90. Very similar. Exactly. So what Very they did similar. After, yeah. Yeah. So basically, the, the feed lever pulled around down from the magazine into the chamber. The chamber rotated 90 degrees, gun fired, <laughs> and then it went back up to the feed position. So the gun had three modes of fire, semi-automatic, burst, and full auto. And in the burst mode, the rate of fire was 2,200 rounds per minute. So the idea was burst two or three? Three round burst. So the idea is you can put whatever, 100 meters, the three shots will be within. You're launching a salvo. It was, in theoretical terms, it was almost as though you were launching three rounds almost simultaneously. Yeah, the the Russians have that. Uh, the AN-94. That's right. Yeah. Two at the same time. But that's yeah. only like sixteen or 1,800 rounds a minute. For right. the first two, and then it drops. First, right. Yeah, which is third one. Yeah. You yeah. ever seen that? It's like a wire. Oh, bullet. my goodness. Yeah, the, it's, the it's magazines so cool at an angle. Seeing, like, that's the difference in, in, in the Russians and the Germans. You Correct. know, the, the Germans, they do it, or the Swiss, and it looks like, a you know, a spaceship. Piece, yeah. And then the Russians do it, and it's got, like, uh, a pulley system from your washer and dryer <laughs> yeah. in it. And, and they still make it work. It's, yeah. Well, what? What caliber was the G11? It was 4.92 caliber. Uh, And a lot of the literature you may see 4.73, but that was just the difference in the way that uh, the Europeans measured bore diameter versus the U.S. They measured from uh, land to land, whereas we measured from groove to groove. Mm. I didn't didn't wasn't aware of that. I didn't know that either. I love learning stuff here. Yeah. Well, so... Was they just wanted, um, so how'd they come up with the caliber? Was it uh, just an energy thing at a certain distance that was a requirement for ACR? There was a lot of uh, thought put into that concept. Um, they wanted some obviously similar ballistics to a, a 62 grain 5.56 five, mm-hmm. round, which they got with that particular round. I think it did about 30, it was doing about 3,100 feet per second coming out of the muzzle. Uh, 3,300 3, feet what per second. What barrel It was a, uh, it was about a 20-inch barrel, maybe 19. That's, that's smoking. Yeah. And for the oh. record, this ACR program is not the one that people are thinking, uh, the Remington one. Oh, I forgot not about the it. Masada. No. No, no, no. no this yeah, is Remington didn't have any... any. Yeah, th- that came... 
25 yeah. or 30 years later. Well, when he first said ACR, I'm like, oh, cool. And then I was like, wait. Well, yeah. there were some strange companies in there, too, that aren't really active nowadays um, that I'm aware of. But Colt had an entry. Mm-hmm. Steyr had an entry. Mm. Uh, they had a bullpup design that fired uh, a flechette, a synthetic-cased flechette. Whoa. You talk about a bizarre design. It used a rising chamber that basically had a fixed firing pin in the top of the buttstock. So the chamber rose when the trigger was pulled, and there was an opening in the top of the chamber that allowed the cartridge basically to be impaled upon the fixed firing pin. And it was almost like it was rim-fired because it had a, a, a circular primer in the case. Yeah, so it was just spun in there. Exactly. And it fired a, uh, a Sabot flechette doing about 4,900 feet per second. <laughs> It was a ten. I had never even heard of this. Mm-hmm. I knew about H and K and Cole. Yes. I didn't know about the Steyr one. And you made, immediately so made crazy. me think of that when I saw the AUG here yesterday. Steyr's cool. Bullpups suck, but Steyr's cool. Yeah, Steyr. I mean, the AUG is a cool. I like. Look to me, all guns are, are cool. Oh, yeah. it's, it's just like bullpups are super cool, and they're interesting in the fact that you can get a very short barrel and a longer right. barrel, so you can get maximum velocity. But it's just all the other stuff sucks generally. Yeah. Trigger pull, ergonomics, the guns get heavy. You know, it's it's yeah. like, what do you want? But, yeah, I mean, if you get a, a 308 bullpup and it's this long, yeah, but it's exactly. got a 30-inch barrel, sure. you get basically 300 wind mag. Bull- I mean, you know, it's yeah. cool. but and, and sometimes it's psychological, too. When the guy's <laughs> shooting a rifle, if there's ever a point where, you know, in his mind he thinks that the gun may fire out a battery, your face is yeah. right over the chamber. Yeah, I would but never shoot any of those fifty cal bullpups. Like, mm. no well, that's like the thing with the AUG too, where you have to you can switch the that little door for the ejection port. The ejection port. Oh, but yeah. like right now, common hand. manual of arms now, <coughs> guys are swapping shoulders. Like you can't do that with an AUG. You're just gonna eat brass. No, yeah. no, and that's not practical. You know, right. because uh, there may be a very realistic situation where if a guy gets shot in one shoulder and immediately needs to bring the gun to the left side, yeah, gonna, yeah. can't do that. Eat the brass, brass is gonna gas. Hit you in the face. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, even three thirty eight bullpups like that Desert Tech, I would never shoot that gun. <laughs> no, right on my face, like you ain't got a chance. No, no. Well, so that is so crazy. It's and like th- they, the military had the circus guns. Yeah. It did, and there were two entries that actually fired flechettes: the Steyr and a company called AAI. Yeah, they had an entry there that looked similar. It, it didn't really look similar to anything, but it was a. A strange design, mostly made of polymer, uh, but it also had a sort of an integral type of suppressor um, oh. that that used a flechette. It fired a flechette as well, but it fired a flechette out of a standard five-five-six casing. Oh, flechettes! Why? Why was that a thing? That was a part of the different types of technology. They were trying to increase the hit probability of the M16 oh, so at that, that point. So that was the the driver was, that was hit the, probability. Correct. So, but, of know. course, you have significant accuracy issues with a flechette. If it doesn't uh, break apart from the Sabo at exactly the right way, I mean, consistency, obviously, as well, yeah, contributes to accuracy. Was that just a period of time where flechettes were the thing? Because, like, there are 2.75-inch rockets that are flechette rockets exactly. that I worked with in the military. And sure. It's the same thing. Like The 80s were a weird time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a... There was an entry for the um, with a Colt ACR. Mm-hmm. It used standard five five six ammunition, but one of the also type one of the other types of ammunition was a duplex round. Mm-hmm. You had two thirty one grain projectiles in a standard five five six casing, nose to tail. 
And, you know, that's you got two projectiles each trigger pull. Now, the accuracy there was an issue as well. Once you get to a certain range, yeah. the dispersion is not. Yeah, I mean, a 31 grain bullet. Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah, so interesting stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. if anybody has an opportunity to go to Knight's Hermit Collection, the Colt AC oh, yeah. stuff is there hanging in the museum. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, so much cool stuff has happened. It was, but just the opportunity to be able to teach G11 using caseless ammunition with a revolutionary bolt system for a year and a half was an enormous experience. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I would go do that for free right now. Oh, goodness. And that was my introduction to HK. I I was aware of the (laughs) P7 and the MP5 and G3 and so forth prior to that, but I never really had an opportunity to get hands-on with HK products. So the first time I really had had the opportunity in depth was G11. So so what happened? What happened with the ACR program? Uh, They certainly didn't get the results that they were looking for. They were trying to double the hit probability of the standard infantry rifle. And they were never able to achieve that. I mean, that's a tall task, but certainly not with the types of technology they were looking it's, at. It's funny if that's what they wanted, and they said that today, I would just hand them like an EOTech or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's essentially what it came to. Yeah, problem solved. Yeah. I guess that is the time, like, red dots and stuff started becoming, coming to the market. Sure. Like, yeah, late 80s, early 90s. Sure. Huh. And some of those, those submissions are part of their system, and aside from the platform, uh, and the ammunition was the optics, too. You know, the Steyr ACU had a, a, a proprietary optic that used a ring reticle. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, the HKG-11 had a specific... The optic was integrated into that plastic shell. Mm. Um, and what what was it? Was it a one-power? It was one-to-one, yes. And it was... Was it a... One-point-one. Was? Was, was it a dot or a circle or... Yeah, because the Steyr, I forgot. It, it, is, still a, got it that, is a circle. Yeah, it still got that ring. It was a... Um, of a, a circle reticle uh, at a hundred, and then you had grid a grid oh. for the various ranges. Hmm. So, well, what happened with H and K? Did um, were the Germans interested in that, or it just died with the army, or what happened? The German army was very interested in that program, and they had really gotten to the point where they proved that it was fieldable. They had done very extensive testing. The timing just was really bad for that system because that was about the time the Berlin Wall came down. They did not have the money to put into a new rifle for the <laughs> army that used a revolutionary yeah, new ammunition. The ammo probably would have Correct. been actually the real expensive thing to Correct. do. Yeah. Oh, it's a shame. It would have changed things. We'd Thanks be, a we'd, lot, we'd, uh, Yeah, we'd be shooting caseless ammo now. Yeah. Now, there were some issues with caseless ammunition as well. I mean... The bolt system in any firearm is very violent when you think about it, you know, yeah. from a practical standpoint. Caseless ammunition, I mean, if you drop it on concrete, that is gonna, it could break. So there's a fragility aspect to caseless ammunition as well. Yeah. So, so there were, there were points solved. where you would get a broken round inside of the gun or inside of the chamber, and you had to get it out of the gun. How'd you clear it? Well, there was an ejector oh, there was. <clears throat> in the system, uh, but it was a manual ejector. Uh, because there was nothing to eject during normal firing. Yeah. So if you rotated the the cocking handle, which rotated 360 degrees. Yeah, you can wind it on the side. Exactly. Of the there was an ejector that passed through the chamber and pushed the round that was in there oh. out of an ejection port in the bottom of the buttstock. Germans are difficult. They're smart, <laughs> man. Yeah. Smart. That's so cool. So so you work with Volker and, and with Jim. Correct. And then that program ends, and that's... 
is that how you go to H and K? Uh, no, I actually got. Uh, I was still. I had about two years left on my enlistment in the Air Force. So after the program ended, you know, Jim was a very good friend at that point, yeah. and we stayed in touch. And uh, and he told me his if whenever a position opened up at HK, I would be able to. He would let me know. And about a year later, it did. They made me an offer, and I was able. To, I was able to get out of the Air Force a year earlier than my uh, separation date. Oh, really? Correct. That was right at the end of the first Bush administration. So they were doing a lot of rifts and letting people out for various reasons. So yeah. if you had a better job, so there it was, was no easy issue. to get out. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So what year was that? That was uh, 1993 when I got out. 93. Oh, yeah. Clinton. I started HK in uh, the beginning of February of 93. Then the crime bill. We got all those 10 round later. magazines. A year later, and HK was working on this brand new pistol design at the time called the USP. Yeah, universal self-loading pistol. It's a great gun, and yeah, uh, for yeah, what ten years they come with ten-round magazines. It had a lot of features that you just didn't see in pistols at that time. I mean, you know, we weren't, uh, we actually were, the first company to do a polymer frame pistol. The, the USP wasn't it. The VP70 was, which had a double-action design, high-capacity magazine. Many people call it the Glock before the Glock. Yeah. So um, it was 18-round mag. 18-round magazine, correct. I know it's great and all. Hellacious trigger. Ugliest gun ever made. You're a hater. I know. I, I would don't want to hate it, but it is the ugliest well, gun Well, it seen. is a horrible trigger. It is very 70s-looking, hence the name. And because um, that, that was a... Was it blowback? It was, yeah, blowback design. And but you know it was so awesome. What what is you got? You brought the COVID over here. I don't again? know. I think I like ingested a hair or something. Like <laughs> respirated disgusting. or something. Disgusting. Yeah, I think I like <laughs> respirated a hair or something. I don't know. <laughs> When's the last time you breathed in a hair? <laughs> uh, it wasn't this morning. Yeah, I think I, mine was. So, uh, you know, and it had the, the full, well, the burst stock mechanism you stick on the back of the oh, gun. And, yeah. and, you know, it's got the mechanism in it and makes the gun. Yeah. What was it? VP70M. Three shot burst? Three shot burst and 2,000 rounds a minute. 2,200 rounds a minute. You know, and most, most pistols that have select fire have extremely high rates of fire just because of the overall length. Of a yeah, pistol cartridge. not a lot of travel. There's too. not a lot of travel, so they are generally in that area, eighteen hundred to two thousand. Even yeah. the Glock eighteen R is yeah. is very up, very high it's rate of fast. fire. That VP seventies either. That's cool. You put the the stock pistol on in the buttstock too. Oh, yeah. That, that may have been the first arm brace. Was there one? It may have been in the gray room, and it, no, not, it's it could be there, but I think there's also one in uh, at Fort Gillum in the Army Crime Lab. There's an arm brace. On the side of the stock, I think it's like a plastic thing and like a oh, canvas like a webbing. Or <laughs> yeah, that you can kind of put your arm through. Damn, I don't know. That sounds very familiar. I gotta find yeah. a picture of it. Yeah. But yeah, there was a VP seventy M in the gray room. Yeah, and uh, it was it was a neat design. Um, like I said, especially it was designed so that when the butt stock was not attached to the rear of the pistol. You could take the pistol, open the rear of the buttstock, and store the pistol inside of it. Like the yeah. old broom handle. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So the gray room at H&K was always at Joe's office in Virginia. 
it had all the cool stuff in it. Oh, the know? gray rooms in the U.S. Yeah, I cool. thought it was in Germany. Mm-hmm. My, this whole well, time, they, they have a version of a gray room there. They actually call it the green room, oh, okay. where there are a lot of the prototype weapons. Yeah. Green room, <laughs> the, the gray room is U.S. But it would have uh, cutaways. There's G11 in there, the VP70. There is the, Correct. you know, the um, the older HK silencers. Um, because I, I remember it seems like one of the cutaways that I loved was an MP5 SD that had the Navy stainless silencer sure and cutaway. Did. Yeah, sure did. Um, man, I, I mean, I'm just so envious because to me, that's the peak of H and K. That's kind of like a golden age of like just sure. gun badassery, you know, and you think, well, from my age, you know, it's like all those uh, Die Hard movies and Bruce Willis was a big star. <laughs> all the Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> movies. Everyone had an MP5. Yeah. Well, the, the documentary Navy Seals with Charlie Sheen. <laughs> MP5s everywhere. Well, you know, one of my favorite scenes in Die Hard was the bad guy. Uh, I think it was uh, actor Hans Rickman. Gruber. Yeah. Hans Gruber. When he was sitting at the desk and he had the P7. Yeah. Oh, that was a great scene. Because... Is it true that you guys didn't do like a, a, a nickel plated P7 and they did it for the movie and it was so popular then you guys offered it? We offered, a, uh, you're right, we, we did do a nickel plated P7 for a short period of time. But was that before the movie or as a result of the movie? That was before the movie. Oh, it was. Yes. <sighs> See, more HK miss. Okay, okay, speaking of HK miss, then I, in my library have an HK catalog that um, when the MP5 SD was first coming out and it says like uh, I'd have to get it now I think it says 170 grain bullet it's like what it was supposed to fire oh, there sure. were there was something different about it but um, and, and it's a drawing of an MP5 SD oh, it doesn't goodness. even look the same wow but um, so it's probably before they decided how they were going to do the barrels. But I, I have when, you know, I spent a couple months at H&K, almost mm-hmm. went to work at H&K. Yep. And w- when you were still at H&K mm-hmm. and um, probably four or five years before you retired. And but I was going to work over in Europe and uh, and talking to some of the guys there, what they told me about the MP5 SD, because I've read a lot of things. So I want to know what you the reason it exists, but what they told me was like the German police or something, their range suffered from encroachment and they had to make a quiet gun that it was never developed for um, like special operations necessarily. It was just for them qualifying and stuff to have a, a quieter gun because of like urban encroachment. What's your understanding or what's that the wasn't, real truth? That wasn't my understanding. My understanding no. was to make a, uh, a shoulder fire platform that was as quiet as possible. Uh, you know, to take out sentries, guard dogs, whatever the case may be. So that it was designed for, like, operational it use. It was designed not. for operational use. And and when so you think cool. about it, they really took all the stops out in terms of making the quietest gun possible. I mean, just based on the type of technology they put in the SD. So I'm not aware of so anybody. expensive to make that It was gun. extremely expensive. I mean, that was our most expensive version of the MP5 for many years. I, I mean, even back in the mid-'90s, that gun, if you bought one from H&K, it was probably $3,500 or something. Yeah. So I th- uh, maybe with that's the about right. silence. Yeah. Well, you said, like, all the rollers and everything are different in it too, right? Yeah. So, what are all the the yeah people people don't realize that, but the the lock in it and the like every that's different in the SD, 
and uh, um, so I want you to answer a couple things if you don't mind, Wayne. Sure. What What are all the differences, including how many holes are in the SD bear? Oh my goodness! Is it thirty two? <laughs> oh, I can't or remember that one. <laughs> Did you know that? I didn't know there were that many. So I forget the millimeter, but they're like eighth inch holes, whatever the yeah. millimeter. But they're right in front of the chamber, yep. and it's 32 or 34, and it's to make, you know, at the time, because there was just 115 grain ammo. Sure. And so there wasn't like 147 grain available. And I think the catalog that I have is probably H&K was anticipating doing or having heavy bullets made so they would be subsonic in the standard length barrel. Because I think in that catalog, we'll pull it before you go. You're right. But the barrel length is longer. It's like maybe the standard barrel length of an MP5. You mean the SD? Well, yeah, in the catalog I have, and I think it's like before the SD actually came to market, yeah. it, it says like 170 grain or 180 grain 9 millimeter bullet, and it offers a barrel length spec, and it's a drawing of the gun, and it looks different. And it, uh, I think the barrel length is like 9 inches or 8 inches instead yeah. of, because the SD is what, like 5 the inches? Has, the SD has a 5.7 inch barrel. The standard MP5 is like 8.85. Yeah. Um, but the SD... Many people don't realize um, is designed to shoot standard velocity ammunition right. because those ported that ported portion of the barrel is designed to vent off gas to reduce the velocity yeah. by about two hundred feet per second. Yeah, a lot of people just make the assumption that the MP5 SD is designed for subsonic ammunition, and that's not yeah. the case. Designed because there wasn't subsonic there ammo, wasn't. right? So there was one twenty four and one fifteen grain available in the world. Like Correct. all the militaries pretty much use that. So it was designed to make that subsonic. Um, it's everyone's favorite gun. And yeah. I know when we do the Honey Badger comparison, because, you know, this is what sure. we designed People it for. crazy. For one of the groups to replace that. And it's like, you're hating. It's like, I ain't hating on anything. It's just like natural evolution. Oh, MP5 yeah. ST is one yeah. of my favorite guns. I mean, you know that my kids, it's one of their oh, favorite my guns. It's, it's like shooting a toy gun. Yeah. It feels like you're shooting a twenty two. But and there was nothing like it at the time. But now it's like the weight of a three hundred eight. Correct. And when you port it and you reduce the muzzle velocity two hundred feet a second, you're pretty much one fifteen grain reducing the muzzle velocity. You're shooting a three eighty. Sure. So, but but what are all the differences in that gun? Well, I, aside from the the integral barrel and the original MP five SD design had a non removable barrel. It was not a screw on barrel. That was oh the silencer. The silencer was. I'm sorry, a silencer. I mean. Uh. Yes. It was non-removable, um, huh. and, and it, it wasn't a screw-on. It was designed as, onto the receiver. It was based, It was not one piece, but it was... It's probably the drawing and the... That's probably the drawing you saw, about. yeah. But, you know, you mentioned earlier the bolt uh, components yeah. being different. One of the things that differentiates many of the versions of the MP5 is the locking piece mm -hmm. inside of the bolt carrier. The bolt head, of course, is what chambers the round and what extracts it. Um, how quickly or how slowly the bolt opens up is determined by the the angles the, uh, of the shoulder of the locking yeah, piece. Yeah, so this is a piece that's kind of shaped like this. Correct. And and, and it's kind of like on an M16 how you have the cam path. And you Correct. can vary that. It's the same. Yeah. So yeah. the MP5SD had its own locking piece. Uh the standard MP5 had its locking, uh, you know, its, its specific locking piece, and the MP5K had its own locking piece. Because yeah. it's a four-inch barrel or something with no uh, silencer, correct. so you're correct. not getting any more back press. That's correct. Now, when we came out with the MP5K PDW, which had a buttstock on it, 
and had a threaded barrel so they could use it with a sound suppressor. There was a different locking piece. It was an 80 degree locking piece that we used for that one because the MP5K opened up very quickly. So we needed to slow that down when you added a buttstock, which gave you additional resistance. And even more when you had a a, a sound suppressor on there. So that was when we came up with the 80 degree locking piece for use with the MP5K PDW when using a suppressor. It was crazy when I went through the armors course, and you don't know any of this stuff. Right. You get there, you're like, oh, you think all the MP5s have the same. The amount of locking pieces and then the size rollers that you had right. for, like, as you check the way you check headspace, because <laughs> you're supposed to replace the rollers as headspace starts. With, with to, a feeler gauge, you remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, feeler <laughs> gauge. So you turn the weapon upside down. I think you, you, Close the bolt. The, the bolt. You, you pull dry the trigger. Yeah, dry fire, and then you have feeler gauges <laughs> that you put between the bolt head and the carrier, and then that tells you you have a chart, and that tells you what size rollers you should put in the gun. Correct. So, I think to so increase precision. that opening. It, it, it's it such is. a precision gun or whatever, <laughs> precision made gun. You're just using feeler gauges. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I mean, the maintenance and all for a oh, modern yeah. gun. I yeah. mean, the gun is, is obsolete because of those sorts of things. But, I mean, what they were able to achieve, mm. like when you talk about going from great guns like the Uzi or the Sterling or other, that generation of open bolt submachine guns sure. to the MP5, I mean, it's like, you know, Prius to a current Ferrari. But right. just like a Ferrari, man, you got the maintenance. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. But, yeah, most people, they have, like, no ideas. I was blown away when I went to the Armors course, and you, you actually see all this stuff. And when they open like the box of all the rollers, it's like the two two shoe boxes. Right. Open it up, and there's like all these sizes of rollers and the feeler gauge. You're like, oh my god, this is horrific. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It it really was, and we even you added another layer of complexity to the rollers and and so many other aspects of an MP5 when we came out with the 10 millimeter and 40 caliber. The coolest. 10 millimeters, the coolest. Oh, Bolt right. hold open. Oh, yeah. You know, it's so funny because uh, w- w- one critique we'll get on the Honey Badger is, oh, well, from some people, you don't have a forward assist. It's like, yeah, well, it's made to replace MP5SD. There's no forward assist. Like the next generation of the Honey Badger, we probably won't even have a dust cover on. <laughs> it's like, how many MP5s you seen with a, with a dust cover? Yeah. And the MP5, it's like, yeah great gun but doesn't even have a bolt hole it opens so last round you're like click oh shit just like in the movies you know yeah but so yeah the 10 millimeter and the 40 cal that was added so you actually have it and they put it you know the uh the piece in the magazine the follower to engage it and so it hold open on the last round and it's amazing it's, it's very interesting that you say that because the germans have never really looked at a forward um forward assist as something that they needed necessarily on their gun as a separate feature they did that with the boat carrier with the serrations in it. Yeah. Uh, but as far as holding the boat open, they saw that as a disadvantage, which is why the G3s and the rifles did not lock back after the last shot. Why was it a disadvantage? Because it stays closed, so there's no d- dirt and debris to get in there while it's open. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess that's how they looked at it. Yeah. So I guess it's just requirement and all, too. I mean, we're used to bolt hold over right. now, and I like it. But like the dust cover for me, I'm just yeah. I'm so OCD. I always have to close them. And, mm-hmm. and, but yeah, we uh, complain about seeing pictures with people will tag us and stuff, and the dust covers down. I'm like, fucking put your dust cover up for pictures. Like, but stupid. Yeah, but most guns, you think about it. I mean, most guns don't have them at all. 
and then people think that this gun has to have it. It's like, yeah, no, it really doesn't. Well, look how long the G3 has been in service. I mean, it's been since the late 50s, and no boat open device. It wasn't an issue. And look how many countries use the G3 rifle. I mean, you think about that, and that is true. And it even pales in comparison to the AK. Sure. And you got the exactly. same thing going there. Exactly. It's like it seems to work. Sure. I heard of a, a company somewhere around here that was going to put a dust cover on a bolt gun, which is crazy. <laughs> Sick. Yeah. We know that all came from, yeah, Army Special Operations. Uh, they wanted on the MSR rifle and did it for Remington. They wanted a dust cover on that. And so, yeah, the, the guy went to, to work at SIG. And the does cr- the cross the, have it? I don't think it does now, okay. but it ha- he, he had yeah. it on the prototypes, yeah. but I think it was removed. Isn't, now granted, I'm no Ethan Lassard, but isn't on a proper bolt-action rifle, doesn't the bolt seal itself? Exactly. If it's done correctly? I mean, it's like, what are you trying to achieve? And, and, you know, the dust cover can prevent dirt from coming out. It's another part that can malfunction. Um, You know, there are other things you can do. You're going to get dirt and grime and stuff in the gun. How do you keep the gun running? But I will say this in their defense. If your entire operational experience is being a sniper in the desert. Right. Maybe you value it more. Like yeah. I, don't, I, I don't know. But um, I think overall it keeps getting voted down. But Ethan said the other day when we were talking about, you know, like in years from now, next generation, we, we keep notes just like we did the fixed rifle. You know, yeah. Ethan and I started that whole idea 12 years ago. And we're making notes all the time, you know, over the years. And he and I still do it now. And, you know, like once a month we'll have a two-minute conversation over next generation honey badger and that could be 10 years down the road but it's like the things that we've learned and what are we going to change when we actually do like a new version of it you know there's always the incremental improvement just like with um you know oh i'm gonna be able to twist that g3 but with uh the roller lock system you know the the little plate that holds the the rollers in on the mp5 or if it's the wire and yeah and all that stuff, how that's evolved over time. So we, we continue to try to make those improvements in. Oh, yeah, you did good. As um, long as the boat's forward, you can. Yeah, so. Oh, there's the lock. Yeah, so we talked lock about that. Mm-hmm. So um, and this is so cool. Comes right out, the firing pin, spring. and But the piece that retains these, you Correct. know, that's evolved. I think there's been three uh, revs of that during. You and know. that has a very uh, technical name, locking roller holder. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't sound very German. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's so funny because there's a trend people believe because, I mean, just HK was so phenomenal. And, like, I fell in love with HK. And some people do it. And you do it blindly. And it's like, okay, the guys that did the MP5, what would they design now? It wouldn't be mm-hmm. the MP5. Because, you know, you have alloys, you have manufacturing processes, all this that's advanced, you know, what now, 60 years? And it was a, it got to a point where it was very expensive to produce the MP5. I mean, it's the same basic design as the 33s and G3s, yeah. a stamped, you know, a rolled receiver. Uh, but you look at, you try to take advantage of current technology, and that's what evolved into the UMP design, which by no means is is not an MP5. Never was, never would be an MP5. Yeah. But it, from a manufacturing standpoint, it's kind of where we are. Well, I don't know. 
I mean, I, I know you, you devoted your life to H and K, and I don't want to. I don't want you to hate on half, half of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully not even that. But, um, yeah, for me, it would be hard in your position to go from the MP5 to the UMP. It was very hard. Yeah, it was very hard because I mean, from an outside perspective, it seems like a way to. You're right. I mean, and I understand manufacturing well enough because I've had a company for so long. Sure. No way I would make the MP5. I mean, I think it would take a government to do it. Sure. It, 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 it's like to do it properly, yeah. I mean, companies here in the U.S. can get, you know, you can get the stampings and bend them and weld them, and you can get surplus parts and do all this. But if you had to start from the ground up, you have to make every part for an MP5. They're like twenty grand a piece. Oh, yeah. I mean, just the materials for the roll, you know, the, the carrier has granulated tungsten welded inside, like just all this crazy shit. It's sure. so crazy that that's how all of the parts are, but then you have a stamped receiver with a press fit barrel, whatever, like certain things that are kind of in the culture now deemed as like lower end, but then you have all these so precise, intricate parts. Or whatever, like, it's crazy how they kind of came together, and that's what you got out of it. Like, Yeah, well, I think you think, you know, think about stoner with... You know, the AR series of guns. He does aluminum forgings and this gun, and then the AR 18, which, you know, the G36 sure. is modeled after greatly, I would say, sure. is um, everything in it stamped. Mm-hmm. The selector, the hammer, mm-hmm. like he went totally to stampings for that. You know, sometimes I don't know. It might just be who's involved in the design, their expertise, or what they have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we would not stamp and weld receivers. You know, you saw even Barrett in the U.S., which is sure. a much younger company than H&K. You know, all their guns, and I mean, they're military contract guns. Sure. That, but like once Chris Barrett was kind of involved and they started doing extruded receivers and you can just hold those tolerances, you get much more consistency. Sure. It's so much cheaper to do. And that's, that's a good point. I mean, when you talk about, and I mentioned this a few years ago when I was on Coulion Noir's uh, uh, radio show. Yeah. And uh, he asked me about some of the stuff that people might not have known about HK, how they got started, which was not doing guns. They got started with three former Mauser engineers doing bicycle parts, sewing machine parts, and precision tools and gauges. Before they ever touched a gun, that was their business. That was their core business. You could see it. I don't think I knew that. I didn't know that either, but obviously I didn't know. But... um, it's cool. That's that, interesting. I mean, it makes sense that the route they took with guns then, because it's not a stand. It's not like no. It's not just simple. It's super precise. Very and Swiss German. And yeah. at that point, they couldn't do guns anyway because of the way World War II oh, ended. Oh yeah, hell. So yeah. they just used they all of that precision engineering once they finally were able to produce guns, and it it was perfect. They made their own gauges and tools. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Engi- what was the first gun H and K did? Do you know? The G3. The G3. Yeah, that was the design that we uh, got from Spain, uh, which was the Setme rifle. I was going to say, I just learned about the G3 because I thought the Setme was a copy of the G3. For real? Yeah. Well, I didn't know the timeline, and then someone told me about how they wanted to do an FAL. Setme wanted to do an FAL copy or something like that. I don't know. It was a whole crazy thing. But, yeah, because I always thought the G3 was first, and then the the Spanish were like, oh, Let's no, do that. that. Was a, it was a Spanish design that we bought the rights to and then produced the G3. Mm-hmm. And eventually, in 
I say eventually, but in 1959 is when we won the Bundeswehr contract mm-hmm. and produced that for the German army. Okay. 1959. And that was 10 years after HK was founded. Yeah, but probably a month after probation from World War II. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah. What, what, do you, um, what do you think about the roller lock design overall? It's a great design. We were talking about, you know, the, the stamp sheet metal receiver. Um, when you think about the durability of that, I mean, for years I've seen commercial guns come back into the repair department, 93s, and where guys would have shot over pressure loads that have just blown the gun out. The magazine just blew out the bottom. And the receiver looks like it was, it swallowed, it's a snake swallowing egg, you know. It's just bulged. But we had mandrels where you could put a, an insert inside the, the, the center, inside the receiver, and basically just pound it back together, and the gun would be good. For real? Yeah. It was extremely well, durable. One great thing about that expansion means, yeah, it's way better than blowing up. Yeah. Exactly. A little easier exactly. in your hands. Yeah. And that's one of the core differences that I've seen over the years between the MP5 and the uh, UMP. Yeah. The UMP having a polymer receiver is not as forgiving to a round firing out a battery. Mm. And MP5, the gun's going to keep going. The UMP is going to going to be killed. The UMP also being a kid growing up seeing it in movies or video games yeah. or whatever, you think, "Oh, it's like a submachine gun, so it's real small." The UMP is the size of this table. It is the biggest wow. submachine I've ever seen in my life. No. Yeah, it's huge. For what it is, it's huge. Well, it's a blowback design, which, you know, in some ways is kind of a step backwards, I think. But it's like it's inexpensive to make. Yeah. I think they did a much better job on the G36 than they did on the UMP. I mean, one of the things a lot of people don't realize, if you look at the very bottom of the receiver on a G36, there are two little holes in the bottom of the rear portion of the chamber that are filled with polymer. And that's designed as a pressure release in the event of an overpressure round. Those two little polymer things blow out. Oh, I didn't know that. Can they be replaced? Can they be replaced? If you need to. I I don't know that you need to. Exactly. Because most chambers now have overpressure relief. They have holes in the chamber. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that would be a way to keep it sealed until you have that and you got a couple little holes. Exactly. I know the pressure curve is very different with a pistol round, but the UMP not so much. Yeah. Yeah, the G36 was cool. It's, you know, it's inexpensive to make. It's a, it, yeah, because I guess that's when you guys went from roller delayed to a new a new that, system. That was a completely radical design from HK. Yeah, it's cool. In, one thing, you shoot the AR stuff, though, and you have that long stroke and that big spring, and then you shoot the folding stock guns with the smaller spring like that. <laughs> it's a different recoil impulse. Yep. Um, it was about 1996 time frame, the first time I shot, I shot a, um, an HK-36, which at the time was still a prototype, mm-hmm. and it was in Yuma, Arizona. We were doing desert testing. We used to do a lot of the desert testing of the different prototype guns in Yuma, mm-hmm. and I got this rifle at the time called an HK-50. Oh, that's what it was called? That's what it was called. What's G-36 mean? That's the designor- designation the German Army sure. gave it. Yeah. G. Gewehr. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it the full size one? The Correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they didn't. That was the only version. Right. Yeah. Yes. The one I have is, uh, <coughs> so I got one of the early ones I could buy commercially, and sure. it's, it's eleven and a half inch or something. What, the what's C? the barrel length? Uh, the standard G thirty six is a eighteen inch barrel. The G thirty six K is a uh, 14, 14 inch barrel, 
Um, and then the G36C compact is a 12 and a half inch barrel. That's the one I have. Yeah. The best looking one. Yeah, and I've, I've got the big carrying handle mm-hmm. with the HK optic in it and stuff. And there was a short run of 14.5 inch barrels that we produced also. Hmm. No, my, maybe mine's 14, but I wanted to think it was 11 inch or something. I, I, it's a short one. That's the, the C. All right. Um, but yeah, I mean, interesting. Great butt pad, folding stock. Just that generation of guns. Is it because uh, I had heard with those in um, it's one of the most reliable guns that H&K's ever made. Extremely reliable. Yeah, I was told when I was in Germany by the German engineers that m- I think it was the P7 was the most reliable, like full auto they had made in the G36 had been up until then. Or did I get that backwards? Or is that not what you, you've heard? I, as I understood, the G36 at the time was the most reliable firearm in HK history. Yeah, cool. You remember, I think it's, is it right outside the cafeteria in Obendorf there? Oh, the they, cantina. They have, uh, in the glass case, they have uh, a G36, like SD with a, like 300, it's in 300 whisper sure with does. a silencer on it. That's nuts. The damn thing's about this long and everything. Yeah. Yeah, so that had to be from the 90s too, probably. Well, actually, I think that, I know which one you're talking about. I think that may have been the SL9SD is what they called it. Oh, was it? Because it was gray, wasn't it? Correct, correct. Yeah, Yeah. they did a 300 Whisper with a big silencer on it. Yeah, and it's in Smart 300 Whisper, I believe. Yeah, that's it, SL9SD. And and a separate building they have there, which is a newer building they built, and I don't remember what the building's for, but they've got... All these, all these guns hanging by wires in there. It's like the coolest thing. Like that you, is pretty cool. You see it on YouTube sometimes where, like, there's a bunch of pistols hanging and it makes a Glock, and you go from this way. They're hanging oh, right. wires, but they have. But it's not just. I want to say it's not just H and K products. It's like uh, World War Two German Correct. stuff and all hanging yeah. in. Oh, it's so cool. There are a lot of things in there. They actually have parts of the building from HK's initial factory. And there is a part of the museum display. Oh, for real? They have, uh, and I think Andreas Hishan had some of his personal collection, and they're like some swords and oh, shields yeah. and things from medieval He's days. A, he was the owner, uh, German guy, lived in England for a long time. Yeah. yeah, he and one of the other owners at the time, who I was dealing with, potentially going to work there. Um, yeah, and I got to go, what's the green room there where they right. have all this? Oh, man. Like the gray room in America is cool, and it probably had I don't know fifty guns in it or so. But the green room has hundreds of guns and stuff you've just never seen. Prototype H and K stuff for other countries, the government. P seven M sevens. What was that? Forty five caliber. Oh, that giant thing! Yes, oh, it's so ridiculous. It's um. Have you ever seen? Okay, I'm so P seven, I know, but so you know the M thirteen, like that's a big grip, and then the right. forty cal. You said what's that called? The M ten. M ten is even bigger. The forty five, like you gotta have, you gotta be Shaq to shoot that thing. Yeah. And it must have weighed. Yeah, Shaq would need two hands to shoot that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and what that thing must have weighed five pounds. It was a very large gun. Crazy. Yeah, this is one. So um, back at AAC, we got these guns from H and K with. Uh, Jim Shot's help right. for a SOCOM group, and we put threaded barrels and made silencers for them. 
back in, I don't know, this would have been the late 90s, early yeah. 2000s. Yeah. Um, this is one of those guns, actually. So it's crazy to me to see how some of these I bought, and I told you yesterday, I love the PSP version where you have the European mag release rather than this goofy American mag right. release or whatever. Um, but you don't get the heat shield and the trigger guard, and it's smaller. But it, this is just such a cool gun. And, you know, it's cool. You know what's cool about this is uh, you got kids around little kids. Like, kids can't cock that gun and shoot it. So, like, it's relatively safe in that mm -hmm. regard. Um, but it's so funny because you couldn't kind of give these guns away yeah. 30 years ago for a while. Like, nobody cared, and they were relatively expensive. And then they got more popular here. But I think these were imported from, I don't know, it was probably German army or national police or whatever That's a german police unit that had uh, a number of these that they turned in during a trade and they germany sold them to the u.s to be for the u.s commercial market yeah so like 25 years ago sure. you'd find them and it have that police yeah. thing machined off right Correct. here it's a bad bluing job yeah. and so they were under 600 bucks and that's why i have like a ton of them is i bought all the ones i could find that uh, were under like whatever six or seven hundred dollars for years, and I can't believe how expensive they yeah, are. Yeah, insane. But they were telling me when I was over there because I guess the the frame is a forging and stuff, and like what a nightmare these things oh were to goodness. make. And there was only a couple people in the fixturing, and they would come out warped, and they had a process to fix it. And you know, it's probably I don't know, like why did they stop making this? It was expensive. There wasn't a need, or the two old Germans that could do it retired. See. All yeah. of the above. <laughs> yeah. There were there are a lot of legacy systems such as that where they simply didn't have the expertise in the company longer to make those, you know, to the quality level they needed. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned the suppressed version there because one of the unique aspects about the P seven, unlike essentially all uh Browning style handguns, is it has a fixed barrel. Yeah. Which is ideal for suppression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because this is, you know, big heavy stainless steel Correct. silencer and the weight doesn't matter you don't need a nilson device or nope. recoil booster it cycles nope. so it's cool i mean it this is. gun's just so cool i've carried one of these when i carry a gun so much low bore axis the gun oh is goodness. easy to shoot it's accurate it's so cool and you know the cocking lever uh is is great because it takes about 11 pounds of pressure to fully depress it but only about a pound and a half to maintain it mm. germans man Cool gun. You got one? Uh, I got two. Oh, really? Yeah, they were on a podcast earlier this year. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do not. That's a cool one. It's yeah. just one of those ones where I'm like, I'll never have one of those. I couldn't believe all of a sudden. It's like I traded Adam a year or two ago, and I had no idea they were worth like $3,000. Oh, more than yeah. that. People pay. People are paying five for them. Oh, yeah, especially God. the the suppressed or the threaded barrel 13. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I, was at, when I was at SIG, there was a guy that, He's got everything you can imagine as well. Maybe not like you, but <laughs> and he was like the one gun I don't have. He had like an original two ten and all that, and he was like the one I need is a P seven. And he finally got one. He's he got it for like four and a half, five grand, and he was like happy about it. <laughs> I mean, they were everywhere at times. Surplus guns and all. Well, one of the things that killed the P seven M thirteen commercial obviously was the crime bill. Oh, yeah, yeah. than 10-round mags. Yeah, the M8 at that point was the only P7 version that we imported when we were still in Oh, really? So when the crime bill went away, even while it was in effect, those that were in the U.S. market, whew, the value just skyrocketed. Really? Yeah. 
And if you were able to get one that had a threaded barrel, you could mm. probably double the value. Mm. Well, I wonder what Aiden will do with it when I die. <laughs> Um, yeah, then the P9S, you know, this is like SEAL Team 6. This is, they use P9Ss. This was one of their original guns with the Qualitech, which was a HK yep. license and produced those silencers in the, in the 90s. So the Navy version of the MP5 has a half three lug barrel and a half 32 thread. That was for that silencer. It'd go on the P9S mm -hmm. pistol. This one's actually a 45. That's a 9 mil. Yeah. And there or your mp5 and you know this has uh, a little bitty bolt and roller <laughs> and lock in it just like the mp5 yeah. little tiny ones that's crazy i didn't know that yeah I, I, um but this is a good gun but uh, uh, reportedly this gun would what work coming out of the surf and stuff as a semi-auto and so that's why they use that and there was also polymer in this frame as well that's an old gun there's a lot of cool features on that gun they shoot good the neat thing about this one also, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Smith Model 41 22 yeah. target pistol. Mm -hmm. The early one was the 41 1. No, I have it the had a cocking one. indicator. I have a 41 1. It has a cocking indicator in the back. Mm -hmm. So you have a visual and, feel, vis and physical yeah. indicator. This has a similar same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we put it, it's in the fix. Did you notice that when you built yours yesterday? I did. Yeah. I did. So we had yeah. that. When and I was it, test firing, I mean, it, just dry firing. Yeah. I, I use it too you know and um yeah so we have that with the you know the p7s also yeah which you know you think you'd know if you're squeezing the grip <laughs> um what else uh yeah those have a cool decocker on them nine and 45 not super left-handed friendly but I'll it's, it's funny you say no. that yeah i'm sorry no you're good decocking is very unique with this pistol <sighs> I'm sure you know how it's done. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's so you pull this down and then you pull the trigger. <laughs> okay. So, so if the, and that's also Rears. the slide, slide release. Yeah. So, so when it's cocked, you just pull that down with your thumb and then you pull the trigger. That's uh, spooky. That's a little. A little spooky. And, and many people don't realize the cocking lever on the P7 is also a slide release. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that, that's, that's pretty freaking cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the germ. Yeah. That's <sighs> awesome. Yeah. That's like almost semi-automatic slide release action there. Yeah. But there's cool. some bizarre things about it, too. The, the slide lock lever. Right here. Mm. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah. If you, if you take the magazine out... I didn't know this. This little lever just put my to the right on. of the, or to the left of the trigger behind I've it. I've never even seen it. Well, there's no lever externally other than that little button right there. But if you want to lock the slide to the rear, you push, pull back, and mm. push back on that little piece right there. That's what locks it back. I love well, learning shit. This is like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the EOTech podcast, <laughs> man. I'm learning all kinds of stuff. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I didn't know that. Again, you could do it the old-fashioned way. Just pull it back with an empty mag. No, now I know the <laughs> trick. I'm going to be a cool guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and that's cool. The little um, USB tactical compact mm -hmm. with the tall sights and that short Night's, Knights can. armament can. Mm -hmm. That thing. Yeah. That's probably a pretty rare piece, I would imagine. That's yeah. a, that is a very rare piece. This kind of came about with a, uh, a former HK employee, uh, 
awesome guy by the name of Bruce Davidson, former oh, yeah. SEAL Team 6 guy. Yeah, Bruce, uh, cool guy. This was kind of his brainchild coming up with the compact version of the, the HK-45 that was suppressed for a, C- a SEAL Team customer. Yeah, because that front end unscrewed, and you could have a wipe or no wipe in Correct. it. Correct. I was going to say, we love Knights. This has got to be a loud can. With water? Oh, yeah. The Knights 45 can is good. It was the first quiet for the Mark 23 45 can. Mm. And, and that baffle system, that crimp cone retains water pretty good. Well, the... But the, dry, yeah. With the Mark 23, was it one of the ones with the, all the volume below it? I know the Knights the can initial, wasn't, but... The initial one that HK did, it was yeah. we call it a Pelican design. Okay. That had the expansion chamber at 6 right. o'clock. I knew the Knights one didn't, but I, feel like, I felt like I saw those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the original Mark 23 design. Correct. Well, I could talk about some of these things for so. <laughs> we, we could do this for two days. Easily. <clears throat> um, what what do I want to ask about? I know there's GMG. like three or four things. GMG. <laughs> we get, that, that's like the finale. I know. Man, yeah. that's, that's like the fireworks display. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you, you don't come out of that. I mean, does Hours North come out with the bang in the song first? Russ, no. No, no, you you got you got to build up to that. That's right, and we do. <laughs> I mean, you just confuse people if you yeah. come out. MP7, Ooh. MP7. Yeah, we ever gonna get an, a civilian MP7? Well, <laughs> you know, I, why are you I, yelling I, at him? I don't know He's if I started guest. off with this, but I'm not. I got no affiliation <laughs> with HK. That's, I don't know what their plans are. Yeah, well, what are your thoughts on the MP7? What what was the deal? Why did it happen? How'd it go? When the MP7 was first brought to market. Um, I think it filled a, a niche that hadn't been filled before. The uh, the primary competitor or competition was the P90. Mm-hmm. Um, the at the the MP7 did things so much better than the P90. Uh, I, I believe from a terminal ballistic standpoint, from a overall design standpoint, because the P7 MP7 uh, overall design overall design wonderful. You could you could bring it. You could put it in a holster. You could bring it out, shoot it like a handgun. You couldn't do that with a P90. Ergonomic, like it makes sense. Everything. Like the P90 to me is super cool and I love it. And I yeah. got a great story about that one. But yeah, if you had to choose something to like actually use, like the P90 is like monkey well, we fucking just, a football trying to change a mag. The, we just talked to the GBRS guys and one of them, he said a whole deployment, all he carried was an MP7 with no optic on it, just backup sights sure. and a, a laser. And that's what he ran. Well, even even ballistically, you compare a MP7 to a P90. A P7, I'm sorry, a P90 is a simple blowback design. It uses about a 28 to almost a 40 grain projectile, but it's simple blowback. The MP7 used the lock breech like a G36 416. Because of that, you were able to run the pressures much higher. Higher, yeah. So we had bullet weights anywhere from 26 grains up to almost 70 grains out of that system. I didn't know that. Yeah, I have some of the subsonic. Correct. And because, you know, this comes back to a company like HK, which is a real gun company at the edge of all the military contracts for special operations for a very long time. And all this is like requirements driven. So the requirement for that, what was that? Like penetrating some ballistic helmet at like 150 meters. There were some, is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was a Kevlar helmet at Mm -hmm. the time. Yeah, some specific model, even whoever, but yeah. Chrysat. Yeah. That was the acronym they used. You just found a bunch of 4.6, didn't you? I did. 
<laughs> well, I, was, well, I didn't find it. I knew well, I had it, but uh, yeah. Well, I thought you meant like you purchased some recently or something. Oh no, because you posted I, a picture. I posted a picture and just yeah. lied about it. I, I said, "Oh, look what I found at Sportsman's <laughs> Warehouse today." I had a bunch of, uh, you know, from some mutual friends of ours down in Virginia. I had I have because uh, we did silencers for them back oh, in wow. the day at AAC. Yeah. Um, I found some cases of ammo, but they gave me back then. It seems like there was tracer, subsonic. Like everything for us even, to test. I didn't even know they made subsonic force. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, that was. Uh, you, I'm sure you know about the subsonic. It was. Uh, I do. Yes. Uh, I think it was 77 grain. Holy shit! I, I don't recall, but it was. Who did it? It's the company over in like uh, Switzerland or whatever. Is uh, a Redway Green? Mm, was it? The, no. Uh, okay. S and B. No, who's, who, no, who's <laughs> the big? Uh, um, not um, makes all the Swiss ammo that's so good. Ruag, Ruag, Ruag. Oh, that's yeah, right. I think it was Ruag. Yeah, you're right. I didn't know they were Swiss. Yeah, it, but yeah, it was I don't know if there was some steel, little steel core. Or what? There was all kinds well, of stuff the for the government project. It was steel core. Yeah, okay. and a lot of people don't realize they think the the four point six ammunition is relatively new, but I don't know if you remember a prototype system HK made this is many years ago this is late 60s called the HK 36 and it fired a 4.6 by 36 millimeter cartridge which was the basic cartridge that the 4.6 the current 4.6 was designed on so what was the gun HK 36 no but what what oh it was a it was if you look at it it looked like a metal receiver G thirty six because it had sort of the the carrying handle that. optic. Yeah. It was if you Google HK thirty six, uh, you'll see a picture of it. And this is back in the days of the spew competition. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. All right. Hmm. Yeah. So four six. Uh, there is not a more fun gun oh, to shoot goodness. than an MP seven. That's all yeah. I've heard. Yes. But I have. I mean, I shot a raccoon one time eight times and then picked up a three oh eight and shot it to knock it out. <laughs> But you just have the ball ammo. It, it was designed to penetrate. That was a thing Correct. I think that a lot of people don't get. It was designed to penetrate armor at a certain distance, and Correct. that's what it was great. Flat shooting. I mean, the gun, it's like shooting an airsoft gun. Sure. Like, you can teach a 50-pound kid to shoot it accurately on full auto in five minutes. Just oh, a, yeah. Just a few times I've messed with it here. It's like, this is the coolest gun. Yeah, 20-round mags oh, yeah. are flush. The mm-hmm. mag goes through the grip like a pistol or an Uzi or something. Then the 40-round mags. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever had a malfunction with it. 20, 20 30s, and 40s were the three magazines. There were 30s? There. Yes. I don't even know if I've ever seen yeah. them. And but, the 30s were actually more popular than the 40s. As I recall, there was a point where they had some reliability issues with the 40-round mags. Oh, they mags. did? Yeah. That gun's so fun to shoot. You it, know, it really back is. Back in the day. So we started – so they bought, I guess – Guns, they probably came from you guys, but they had the BNT silencers on. Yes, yes. And we replaced all those with um, uh, smaller, different silencer. And so I got tons of ammo for testing. Oh, wow. So fun. Mm. So fun. <laughs> I love that gun. Yeah. Um, was that a success for h and I don't think it was as successful as it could have been or should have been. Um, but it was designed for a specific need. I mean, uh, for guys that operated in small, confined areas, tank operators, vehicle operators, yeah. air crew members, 
uh, guys that would yeah, I remember normally, the tank operator part exactly. of the requirement. You know, guys that would normally carry a pistol, but yeah. a pistol would be a, a really, really poor compromise if they needed to engage somebody who was wearing body armor, which is quite often, or engage somebody at greater ranges. Yeah, 150 uh, meters. Exactly. That thing's flat shooting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, well, because it's weird because the Air Force just picked up the APC-9, the BNT. Yes, yes. Was Was there even... As far as you know, was there even any talk of an MP7 for them? Like, I wonder why they would go with that over the, because the APC is bigger. It's got a nine mil. Like, it's well, heavy. Yeah. Like, I wonder why they didn't go with the MP7. Uh, or if I, they even I considered it. I I believe, anytime you're talking about a non-standard caliber, there's mm-hmm. an enormous uphill battle. Yeah. And I think military looking at something like yeah. that is like we don't want to put so much effort into trying to validate the lethality of this new cartridge. Yeah, yeah. It, it's got to be special operations, I Correct. think, for those. You know, and the P90 to me is cool. Benoit, do you know Benoit, the engineered FN that did the P90? I don't. I do not. So uh, He's a f- funny dude. And, I, I, you know, we did the silencers for the SCAR program and all, and I worked with him, got to know him, and he came to see me in Georgia one day and, and I have the AUG that was out here probably mm-hmm. sitting on a table in my office, and I had the P90 next to it. And, then you know, he did the, the P90, and he did the SCAR, and he did, the, like, the, what's their other one, the F2000? Mm. Like, a, wow. a lot. Oh, yeah. He's, he's yeah, their wow. head engineer. And, uh, you know, engineers usually just so arrogant and stuff, and he's in my office. And look over at the table, and I said, hey, the uh, P90 looks a whole lot like the AUG. He's like, it should. I copied it. <laughs> he said that. He said it to me, and he says, "Yeah, they just they have a patent on the uh, you know the 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 sling pin that holds in the hammer pack and the buttstock together. It's, it's a genius design. They have a they have a a patent on that. So I had to just do the dovetail. I couldn't do that, but yeah, they did a great design. Why would I redesign it? Wow, That's I mean, cool. he said it himself. That's I mean, cool. he's just like he wasn't just like. <laughs> Yeah. It was great, and we needed a bullpup. You know, that was the requirement that was given to him, and he's like, okay, this is a great one. Let's do this. Wow. And he was just so funny. But, you know, of course, the magazine's on top and all mm. kind of the weird stuff. Yeah, 90-degree yeah. turn. Yeah. Um, but that was interesting. He told me that they, you know, named it 5.7 because, like, in Europe, he's like, you know, you can't have 5.56. Five, five, so he says, we just know. He said the original. This is what he told me. It could have been bullshit or not. But he said the original they have all this like u.s military ammo and stuff he's like all the original guns um because it used to be what is it it's 5.7 by 28 28, so it used to be like 33 or something it was a different car and they sold like forty thousand of those to saudi Saudi arabia and then they switched made the case shorter and they had to go and like like convert all those guns wow and he said it was funny they'd had them for like three years they'd never taken them out of the boxes or shot them you know we had to But uh, he said they pulled green tip, and like out of ammo that they had, they pulled the bullets, like hundreds of thousands of them, and loaded it, and fi- and that's what five seven originally wow. was. Hmm. He says, "Yeah, we just have to call it five seven in Europe. We can't call it five five six. <laughs> that's crazy. I mean, it's like all this shit. You're just like, oh well, okay, it makes more sense. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but that I mean, it's a cool gun. But when you think about it next to a, yeah, the MP seven. Mm. Yeah, that's a we neat need gun. A, we need a semi-auto MP7 real bad. There was there yeah, was well, some talk of that at one point. Yeah, I, I was trying to push it back there. What's what's the reason? Is it in 
end up just being like ammo suppliers at German law or State Department? Like, w- w- do you know why that's never happened? Um, well, for, for many years, and I don't know if it's still the case, but, you know, the Germans kind of had their own ideas of what they would allow to be available on the U.S. commercial market. Germans meaning H&K, not the government. A- HK, HK uh, senior management. Yeah. Um, there were many U.S. ammunition manufacturers that were willing to produce 4.6 ammunition. Mm-hmm. Uh, that did, you know, even for the, the users we had in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that they were open. I mean, look how long it took them to offer a civilian version of a 416, which was mm-hmm. essentially an MR556. Yeah. Speaking of that, what um, when you guys were importing the thumbhole stock UMPs, the, S- the USC, and they're, they're the, doing the thumbhole stock now. The what is it? The SL8. Yeah, the SL8. But what in the nineties did did H and K here think that would be successful? To a certain extent, if yeah. if if a customer, if a U.S. customer wanted an HK long gun, that was really only unless we produced something here, which we didn't have the capability of at the mm-hmm. time. That was the only way we could import it with that slim mm-hmm. ten round magazine and thumbhole stock. That was the politically correct version. That was the only way you could import. Or were those successful compared to what you guys were thinking? Now, when you say successful. <laughs> Like what? What was what was the forecast that you guys thought you would sell of those? It wasn't very many because why would anybody want a rifle that used a ten round magazine that was proprietary that had a thumbhole buttstock when they could buy any of the flurry of ARs that used a thirty round magazine yeah. that had a retractable stock in the U.S. Mm. So this was these were only the diehard HK loyalists. That's it. Okay, if that's all I can get, it's still an HK. I'll take it. Granted, there wasn't very many of those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, probably actually way more now. I mean, just the population, the demographic, our industry has just exploded. Exactly. What? Um. So they're bringing it back now because you brought yeah. it up to me, and I saw it, and you just brought up the SL8 again. That's yeah. what I understand. I think I saw it on the firearms blog or something like that. It's yeah, I saw it shared somewhere. Which a lot of people are just saying like. <laughs> We get it. You're getting around import. People are just going to bring it in to get chopped down and turn it into a G36, basically. A lot of guys were doing that. They were chopping their yeah. SL8s and converting them into, which is significant. I mean, you have to change the mag well, and there's so much work that you need to do. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be enormously expensive. And mm-hmm. yeah, people do it for. I mean, yeah. well, the people are paying yeah four grand for these. Yeah, because there's probably G36 part kits available now to some degree, I would imagine. I would think so. Hmm. If not from HK, that's there's other companies that have to be doing Like you see like Zenith or whatever was doing yeah. the MP5 stuff. Correct. Like, so there, there's got to be third party. And P, P, I think it's, uh, I forgot the name of the company that was making a uh, an HK91 pistol. Yes, yeah. P, PT? It something? was something like that. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know the name of the company, but I saw them and I... Whatever. Yeah. Not my style. Wow. The G3 retractable stock, sort of like on the Honey Badger. Mm-hmm. So the short one and it's uh, like convex. Is that just for, why is it like that rather than concave? Is is that for uh, if you have a, 
I don't know, grenade or something you're trying to mortar? No, as I understood, it's just to reduce the overall footprint of the gun. When you have it closed. <laughs> Tommy, come on. <laughs> I mean, my kid's young. We expect him to be a doofus. You. Sorry, Wayne. We're trying okay. to <laughs> unprofessional as a motherfucker. No. But when the buttstock is closed, it just doesn't protrude as much. So having a taper in, again, kind of minimizes the... The overall Honey exposure. Badger version two. I don't know, man. That <laughs> that G three with that stock is not fun to shoot. It's not. It's not. Mm. Well, I mean, even with a with any, I mean, a, a twelve inch seven six two carbine, it's it's fun to shoot, but it's not necessarily easy to shoot. Yeah, yeah. That was I showed you that earlier. I've got that original HK. Probably can't even see oh, it in the camera, yes. but yeah, G three twenty two conversion kit thing oh, works on goodness. full auto. Oh, yeah. that's some fun times, Jay. Oh my goodness. I like the G three. I think it's cool. It is cool. Yeah. I mean it's been one of the most successful rifles in the history of the world. Yeah. I think it's probably number two on the list. Is it number two? Yeah. After I mean, when you look at all of the countries throughout the world that have used G threes, it's probably number two most widely used. Yeah, uh, probably it's rifle. gotta be it's gotta be AK G three FAL. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the FAL probably less. It may be close. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, definitely definitely one of the most prolific. Sure. What was uh, the AR now, maybe. I don't know. I mean, That's it's getting true, into, yeah. you know, because it used to be, it was interesting that like all of like the tier one assets everywhere in the world, sure. they, they might have an AUG or something yeah, else, but yeah, they're yeah. using an AR based gun. And then you see, you know, even the advantage. Well, what do you think going from, before we go on to bigger things that go boom, <laughs> what. Uh, when HK goes from the, the roller delayed blowback guns and everything, and you guys do a G36, awesome gun, successful. Um, now they've got the new one, whatever it's called, but the 433, 433. Is cool that gun. just because of the G36? Like, um, what, what was that I heard? Like in Saudi Arabia or wherever, like out in the desert, they're laying there for hours. They get hot. The, the, the receivers kind of warp. Correct. And there's some zero retention issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the 433 was certainly an improvement over the G36. I it's mean, cool. HK and the German government had a huge falling out over the accuracy of the dispersion issues with the G36. Oh, so it was even with Germany it was an issue. Oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. The German government and HK, um, to my understanding, uh, had a huge falling out. Uh, over the G36 and and other stuff, you know, some of it I think political, but the G36 was a big source of uh, disagreement between the two. So they did the 433. And does it have a what? What is it got an aluminum receiver or what they do with that? It has an aluminum receiver, um, just a significantly different design. It's just a, it's oh. a cooler looking gun. Correct. It's a it's a really cool. Gun. <laughs> yeah. As I long like, as it looks cool. Uh, exactly. It, That's it half looks the battle. amazing. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And it had a lot of features that the G36 didn't have. It had a adjustable gas regulator. Um just, you know, you could basically change the barrel. It had a common receiver that you could use different barrel lengths, butt stocks and it was a phenomenal design in terms of versatility. Was that done just because of the the issue with the German government with the G thirty six. That was a that was a part of it, but that was also in in their mind uh, the next generation of assault rifle from HK. That was that was sort of the future. Sounds like you agree. Agree that, that it's the next generation. Yeah, it 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 was. 
Yeah. I, I agree that it was certainly uh, an improvement over the G36. Uh, the G36, I don't think there's ever been anything quite like that in terms of reliability weight-wise. Um, it wasn't the best platform in terms of using accessories. I mean, it yeah. didn't have a, a rail system that you could easily use. Uh, the buttstock left quite a bit to be desired. Um, same with the forearm system. I mean, yeah. they eventually got to a point where they offered accessories, to upgrade accessories to the G36. Yeah. A rail system forearm, uh, a, a rail platform mm -hmm. on this still polymer receiver, um, but there were there were very few metal parts in it, which caused some of the dispersion issues yeah. when you, when when the polymer heats up. Well, well, oh, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, well, one kind of in between what you were just saying with the next generation with the 433, like kind of an in between that is seeing a lot of success right now is the M27, the IAR. Like the Marines are, every Marine seems to have well, one. Well, this is something I want to say. It was so interesting to me when we went from roller to like sure. all these German, well, Spanish and then German. But HK, then all of a sudden they do a stoner-based gun. It's the best gun. Short barrel wins all the contracts with all of the dudes during the prime of the war that are actually sure. shooting everyone. The 416... Which, you know, it's a version of that becomes yep. the IAR, I guess. Is that what it's called? Yep. Yeah, Recar. 27 IAR. And, yeah. So what were your thoughts on that? Like, what was the reasoning that had to be wildly successful for H&K? Well, when you look at HK416, uh, you know, the, the government is what caused that, that gun to be developed. The U.S. government? The U.S. government came to HK and said, hey, can you make the M4 carbine better, more reliable? You know, Larry Vickers was involved in it. Yeah. But essentially, if you look at a an M4, if an M4 and a G36 were married together with the best features of both, that's essentially what happened with the 416. So was it based around short barrel reliability initially or just better overall and more reliable? Better overall. I mean, we knew that we could make barrels better. The quality, the, the durability of our our platform was better. But if you could take an M, an M4 platform and put a G36 operating system in it, goodness, you could rule the world. Yeah. And that's what eventually happened with the 416. And I think it possibly, you know, became maybe the best AR platform from a reliability standpoint ever. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I anyone that's ever used them within, you know, the groups that we always talk around. Sure. The I mean, only not positive thing, it's not even necessarily negative, the only critique that I've ever heard on it is its weight. Correct. People will say, the people. some people talk about the recoil because it's a little overgassed, whatever, but it's not violent or whatever, like, just throw up. Yeah, I mean, do you want it to be reliable? You know, it, it's interesting. Um, one of the guests that we had that was in an Army special operations group that had him, he... Um, I don't know what what, what did he say? He'd shot fifty thousand rounds. Anyway, never had a malfunction with the gun. Like training up his first deployment, his first gunfight with it had a malfunction transition to pistol, and and um, I think they use it as a training video now because he seamlessly transitions to a pistol, and you've probably seen the the footage. And, um. And so I asked him, I was like, do you lose confidence in the gun? I was like, wait, you guys just received them before this deployment. It was your first deployment. It was your first engagement with the gun. 
and you had malfunction. And he's like, no, never had a malfunction before training up. You know, when they train up, it's of course shooting a lot. Sure. He says, I never had a malfunction with that gun again. I don't know anyone in our unit that had a malfunction with a gun. It was an anomaly. So, you know, it's probably ammo related or something. Yeah. Who knows? And he's like 100% confident, best gun we ever had. Totally, you know, rely on it. Yeah, because the other gentleman we had who was part of a similar unit or the same unit, um, he said kind of the inverse where he said his entire career uh, at that level, he never had a malfunction ever. So it's like he he had to have been the outlier, like you said. Like It probably wasn't even the gun, like you just said. Well, the guy that had the malfunction said it absolutely was. Like he didn't right. know anyone that had a malfunction with the gun. Sure. And had never had one before or after. And, you know, it just happened to be like, yeah. that time but um no i mean even in his mind because that's pretty interesting you know in a situation where a lot of guys would maybe say otherwise he's like hey shit happens could have been a number of things sure. it's a one and only time mm -hmm. and i was okay survived and the gun served me well for the next seven or eight years and wow you know and, and that's pretty cool because i've seen the video yeah and yeah i mean my man goes to work with Does a pistol work. yeah and, it's going. and <laughs> but yeah, training. But uh, yeah, I mean, all of them. It's 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 all the same thing that sure. I hear with that gun. Um, and it is interesting, you know. You think people get used to. There's the HK loyalist, and I think we're starting to get it to some degree. You know, like my dream is to build a company that is like H and K and like Knights Armament. I mean, it's, it's you know we've talked about it. I've said it probably ten times today. You know, it's why I got in the industry. It's what made the impressions on me. Um, but we see it now, you know, some people like H and K, H and K weapons are expensive. Sure. And if you understand the manufacturing, especially ever been to Obendorf and see what H and K puts into a gun, it ain't Daniel defense. The guns no. cost more because they cost more. And if you want a four sixteen, and knowing what I know about, you know, Colt M four, great gun. An H K four sixteen should cost quadruple. Mm -hmm. probably what one costs but you see the people who will spend the money are very very emotionally attached to those guns and will offend it mm -hmm. but, you know it's just like the honey badger when we talk about it um it's so purpose driven and even though it looks like an ar like a 416 there are very few parts that are not custom in this gun yep. and it just makes them really expensive and do you need it well maybe you don't but, you know, to get the gun a pound lighter than every sure. other gun like it sure. and to, you know, to do the things it does, it, it, you know, so I understand when I look at like the, the bushing and the 416 receiver and for, you know, the operation and, you know, you look just the way you, they connected the rail system sure. and you, I mean, the, the process goes in the, like everything they do, it's when you understand the manufacturing and like holding these tolerances and having the engineers that can come up and design the stuff, they make a lot more money. Then it costs you triple to make it what it does. Some bullshit, whatever it is, Anderson arms product. That'd be nice. I mean, I I'm, like the poverty pony. Well, I'm sure, <laughs> I, I'm sure it's fine for most people, no, but not. there You're is right. a difference. You know, yes. it's just like you can have, you know, like whatever, uh, a, a standard Honda Accord and put a spoiler and all this shit on it, but it don't make it an F1 car. No. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That rail on the 416 is the greatest thing ever. What, how that it comes off? The single, yeah, the single uh, bolt to take it off, and you can use your, is it the, it's is the, it a brass casing, or is it the bolt head no. itself? Well, the, the, they've gone away with that, but okay. the original 416 design had a handguard screw that locked it to the barrel nut. Mm-hmm. 
and you could actually use the boat head to do right. Yeah, right. But it, when when people started breaking off boat heads doing that, mm. they changed that design. Oh, they did? Yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, some of the guys that have been here before were telling me that that was one of the things they wanted back then when <laughs> HK was doing that. Yeah. It, it was a good idea, but it's a good idea until yeah, til til it's, it's not. not. Exactly. Yeah. It is nice not to have to have other tools. Yeah. <laughs> and just that single screw is so cool. It's so nice, so convenient, whatever. Yeah. And like, yeah. Well, probably this may have preceded that. No, it didn't. Um, but this is also the coolest thing. This is great. Yeah. The single bolt is easier in some ways, but the thing with that H and K, unless you can do it at an angle and force it, it, it clamps it, but it doesn't pull it back. Mm -hmm. And the idea with this is that it draws it back to the receiver. Sure. But also like a simple single thing. That is one... Some of the HK stuff is not very simple, like we talked about, Rollers like the set me design, the roller delayed. But some of the, that's some of that ingenious stuff, and it's you know it's inspiring because like yeah, when we want to put a handguard on, we want you to be able to take it off easily too. There's one tool, there's one thing. Um, it's not quite as simple as the HK design, but we wanted to drive the handguard back. But sure. I, I just think all of these great designs. You no, know, I mean, I mean, how many different ways can we do something on an AR? True. So, yeah, the 416, that was cool. That was cool to do the American gun and kick the Americans ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about... So, I have the 320 grenade launcher. Yes. I cool. love 40 millimeter. My little buddy, Aiden, who was in there like an asshole on his phone a second ago. <laughs> he, um, you know, my man, he's been shooting the M203, that 320, yep. the M79s since he was... Because I used to have like those practice grenades they used to have cases and cases and cases and <laughs> cases of them when they were like you buy them for the two bucks a piece uh Style stuff. Yeah. yeah so and um you know so he, he he didn't understand how spoiled he was you heard him in there earlier <laughs> when he's a little kid he's six years old you know we have this giant vault walk-in vault belt fed <laughs> machine guns and all. you just pick out what you want we go to the range and shoot and bl blow cars up with tanner right and shoot grenades and and now, you know, that he's older and we live in New Hampshire and we don't have that place and it's different. And he's like, it was so incredible. I can't <laughs> believe I got to do all that. But the 320 is awesome. So you guys went from the top feed to the, the side opening. So that you, is that so you could mount it underneath the gun and still feed? Yeah, and it's, it's much easier to to load and unload from a prone position as well. Mm. Always wanted to double barrel one of those because of the... 40 millimeter, one shot, you're a little off, you can adjust quick and bam. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always wanted the double barrel. But well, there was there was word um, that they were working on a multi-shot grenade launcher at some point. This HK? Was, HK. Oh, okay. This was, was after say. the 320, yeah. Oh, man. Well, I mean, what that was China that? China Lake one was the pump action and all yeah. that. I think it's big and heavy, but what I just always thought double what is barrel. It, the M32 or whatever? The, is that the, the, I forgot the company. The China Lake one was sweet, the pump the M79 pump gun, and only like three of them were made. Yeah, have you ever held one or anything? No. No, it's it's a great idea, but it's big and ridiculous. Oh, yeah. But Basically. there's, what's the company in Arizona that did the, is it the M32, the, the six Oh, shot? the big cylinder yeah, one. That's what I'm trying to, I can't remember yeah. the name. It's, yeah, I always want to say pan, like Pancor, it's, but that was the jackass South Africa. Yeah, I, I know the one you're talking yeah. about. Milcor, Milcor. Milcor, Milcor, yes. Yeah, and it used an AR style. Correct. Yeah, yeah. It's cool, but. Yeah, that mechanism, I don't know. It's it's big. Drums are rattly and stuff. 
That's, that, a, that's not an easy round to feed other than a single shot. <laughs> no. You, they, yeah. they it's hand, a big square. You exactly. You that too. You, you rotate it and handcock the cylinder. It's, yeah. on, a, it's on a spring. And double a barrel. I'm telling you. Just yeah. call it the 640. It's double 320. <laughs> <laughs> Two barrels. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I probably should have gone to the military. But I've shot so much of that stuff. I was always like, you know, I'd be at the range of the dudes and I get to shoot stuff and I'd be like, bam. And I'm like. It's like, why don't you guys have two barrels? So you like you, you're off a little. You just adjust, and bam, it makes all this sense. Like I don't need like a pump action five shot. Give me two. Exactly. You know, like the African double rifles. Mm. <laughs> um, but well, the mass on that would be enormous. Oh uh, yeah. Something two rounds that size. Oh my goodness, it's big. Yeah. So Jay, when we were watching those videos, and like I said a million times before, man, Jim shot. <laughs> over top, holding the bipod in one hand like a badass yeah. belt. And uh, Wayne with MP5 inversion. But he Wayne was always the guy sitting behind the belt fed 40 millimeter. <laughs> GMG. Go, 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 go. Oh, those videos. Man, how many rounds have you shot through that? How fun was it? And, and, and oh, thousands, how, thousands. <sighs> but that was, that was probably, you know, my favorite. And most sentimental uh, gun at H and K because I taught Mark nineteen when I was in the Air Force. Oh, you did? Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, probably made you love the GMG because that thing was a big. Oh turd. my goodness! It, the Mark nineteen was was a horrible design, particularly when you look at the design of the GMG. Oh, it's embarrassing. It's it, like it, when it, I said M sixty earlier, and exactly. I love I love the M sixty. Yeah. And I have three M60s, and I have three just because I want to go shoot them all day. <laughs> and it's like you get one running, man, you don't breathe on it, exactly. you don't do anything. And it's like the most fun to shoot when it works. When it works. But it's a dog. It is. And, uh, it and is. the Mark 19, same thing. Well, when you look at the basic design of the Mark 19, when you compare it, the Mark 19 is a machine gun. Uh, most machine gun designs work in such a manner whereby when you feed the belt into the receiver and you release the boat, Boat goes forward, strips around from the belt, chambers it, and fires it in one motion. Mm-hmm. The Mark 19, not so much. It strips the round from the belt as it's coming to the rear. It cams it down in line with the bore, and then when it goes forward. So in order for you to fire a Mark 19 to get ready to fire, you have to dry fire the gun. It goes forward, strips the round from the belt, and then you have to pull it back. So you have to pull the trigger twice to shoot the gun to get it going. Really? Yes. Let me remember that. That's dumb. The GMG works like a standard machine gun, but there are so many advantages over a Mark 19 with the GMG. Like for, what? For one, the weight, extruded aluminum receiver, it's about 12 pounds lighter. You know, that's, that two, sounds like a lot of weight. Two fixes lighter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of weight. I mean, yeah. particularly, you're talking about a gun that weighs 64 pounds. Mm. Compared to a seventy-five pound, roughly. Yeah, Mark I mean 19. that's probably another twenty-five rounds of ammo. Or exactly. Something. But then you talk about the way that it operates, which is the hugest, the biggest advantage. The GMG uses the exact same belt as a Mark Nineteen, but you have to rotate it the opposite way. So you have to feed the opposite end of the belt and the male end of the link first into the gun, because it strips it as the boat's going forward, yeah. and it chambers it and fires it. Yeah. And there's little things about the GMG that are so much better than a Mark 19. When you, if you ever have an opportunity to take one apart and look at the barrel, it has a fluted barrel like a P7. So the chamber? The chamber. When you look at the fired brass, you see the flute marks just like on the 9mm brass. That and that's for extraction. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, because 
Yeah, I guess overall pretty low energy, and that's a whole lot of surface area in that chamber. Exactly, and and it it operates, it fires just like a Mark 19. It has the same type of ignition, which is advanced primary ignition, Mm -hmm. which is what you expect. I mean, the bolt in the GMG weighs 35 pounds. For real? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, But when you think about it, that's the reason it has advanced primary ignition. So as the bolt strips the round and and chambers it, it never gets to a point where it's locked forward. Advanced primary ignition is where it actually fires the round before the boat goes completely forward. That's way that way it starts to come back before it actually hits anything because it's a huge amount of mass, thirty five pounds. Yeah, that's standard advanced primary ignition. It it doesn't lock in a forward position, so it starts to recoil this, as it's moving forward. Huh. And it, it's a much safer gun. It has like five safety features, including a uh, a receiver safety. There's a part in the top of the receiver that that blocks the firing pin before the boat gets to a certain point in the receiver. Oh, so it can't, yeah. It can't. So is like it pre-ignition or fire out of battery. Is Correct. it like backwards constant recoil? What like, do you mean? Like with constant recoil, it never, your bolt never hits the back of the, the receiver. So it's the opposite. So uh, it's ne- similar to it. Similar. It comes back to a certain point. But you right, have but I just mean and such in there. if you flip it around, it's never no, it's never locking forward. I, I think the idea is to slow it down and then it's driving it rearward. Mm. So it's not because how does that lock? How's that gonna lock? Is it lock into battery or is it it's just feeding the round, firing it. And There's it's no such thing as locking. Back. There's no such thing as locking so that the battery lock. because it yeah. uses advanced primary ignition. So, so there's it, no need for it to lock forward. So it's just getting in a safe. It's yeah. getting in the chamber and the safe amount to to fire the cartridge and exactly it's coming back. So with advanced primary ignition, the the cartridge has to be fully supported by the chamber. Not, not right. fully, but supported safely enough so that you have about. 10 millimeters of the ch- the cartridge inside of the chamber when it goes off as it's moving forward before it ignites and then starts coming backward. Oh. That round is never, there's no chamber for it to completely chamber in. So, cool. so yeah. it never stops on the forward. It doesn't. It okay. doesn't. It, that's, it, it, that's their concept of advanced primary right. ignition as it fires as the round is moving forward. Okay, just immediately sending it back. Exactly. So that's that reverse, like, uh, what I what I I guess the point I was trying to make with reverse constant with, recoil in the back. Yeah. So yeah. instead of it being on the back, it's just reversed. Because like the front. Right. Exactly. It's in the front. So it like with constant recoil, it just never stops in the back. It's just always moving. It but, it stops in the back because it has right. to come back far enough to get enough momentum right, right, right. to go forward. Strip yeah. That that's why I meant it's reversed. Correct. I it's got not you. constant recoil. I know that. Yeah. It's yeah. just reversed. So it's never stopping in the front. Yeah. But the 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 advantages go on forever. I mean. You can change the feed mechanism from left side to right side, depending on what type of vehicle and situation you're in, without using tools. You actually use components of the gun to, you know, kind of like the concept with the boat handle right. on the, yeah. the, the handguard. You can change the feed direction so that it feeds from left side or the right side. What other grenade machine gun can you do that with? But what the other safety- grenade machine guns are there? Well, yeah, true, <laughs> true. Well, how um, was that adopted by Big Army here? The GMG? Um, it was evaluated by Big Army, um, but they logistically, they couldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole yeah. because there are so many Mark 19s in the system. That's, that's almost, and then you talk about each can of ammunition would have to be reversed because it feeds the male and the link first. 
Hmm. Don't get me wrong. It's significantly more advanced, a much better platform, but, you know, logistically, it's a nightmare. Belt-fed machine guns. Belt-fed <laughs> grenade launchers. <laughs> What's world. the range of that? Uh, the max range is about 2,200 meters. <laughs> oh, so, that's it? I mean, you're shooting... <laughs> Now, because of the ammunition, you have a 30-millimeter safety buffer. I mean, right. The round doesn't even arm until it goes 30 meters Yeah, for safety reasons. 2,200 meters? Yes. The, that's the max effect. <laughs> that's the max range, not effective yeah. range, but that's the max range it'll go. The max effective is about 1,500, 1,600 meters. Oh, just fifteen uh, or 1,600. <laughs> and then it explodes. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. so, right. I mean, you think like a 16-inch 308 subsonic at like 800 meters. Oh my yeah. goodness! So you go double that with a forty millimeter grenade, then it blows blow up. up yeah. and it <laughs> but it, it gives you such enormous capability when you talk about a mortar, oh, which is right. all indirect fire, right? And a direct fire machine gun. When you have the advantage of both of those features, you can shoot a vehicle coming directly at you, and you know a bunch of times. A bunch of times. What's uh, the rate of fire? Three hundred thirty rounds a minute. It's slow for a machine gun that is fast for a grenade launcher. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's terrifying. <laughs> it's amazing. And and you know, um there's a, a Swedish company that HK worked with that produced the I mean the tripod. Uh they had a soft mount that was buffered. Um that significantly cut down on the recoil of the gun. But it absorbed a lot of it. But it was designed in such a way that it was integral with the gun um in terms of Using accessories, the the optic was actually attached to the the soft mount, so the gun buffered, recoiled within that that mount, so that the optic was not attached to it. The optic didn't move. What was like the kill radius considered with those grenades? The kill radius on a forty millimeter grenade was about five to seven yeah. meters, uh, with a casualty radius of about thirty meters. Yeah, I was gonna say twenty to thirty. Yeah, thirty meters. You're so getting pieces of metal in your in your hundred feet, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're within five to ten, you're screwed. Yeah, yeah, you're done. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So mount the optic on the the mount, not the gun, because <laughs> you've Dude. got you got thirty feet to work with. And there were so many. You know, at the time we had a what we called a reflex uh, sight. As, as much yeah. as it's reflex on a grenade machine gun mm-hmm. that's that goes out to 1500 meters so cool. but there were so many advancements uh in terms of sighting options for that gun i mean a lot of companies got really really uh creative in terms of camera systems that were remotely controlled and it was amazing were most of those mounted in like apvs or what are most of those mounted on a little of both uh, many on vehicles and uh some of them on uh, just on tripods that arming distance is super important too. There's so many stories of dudes yeah, ripping, like even with 320s, dudes like trying to climb something and for some reason had it loaded and like ripping around into the ground next to them or whatever. Like you're still gonna get screwed up, but at least it won't blow up on you. Well, you know, one of the neat things about the GMG also is it had a selector lever. You could go from safe to semi to full auto. Mark 19 is just safe and full auto. There is that you can't shoot a, shoot a single shot with a Mark 19 unless you shoot one, you load one round into the gun. Select fire. 
and you know, and we used to kind of joke about it at one point, saying this is almost like a forty millimeter sniper rifle because you could shoot one round very you know, relatively accurate as you can with something real, fun. you know, that big around. Yeah, well, I mean the M two fifty cal as well. I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, Carlos Hathcock. Exactly. Yeah. Smoked that yeah. dude on the bicycle. Yeah. I think it was a chick, wasn't it? it Might have been. No, that was that was a dude. The yeah. chick was. Yeah, <laughs> I remember the the bicycle. Yeah, yeah. Shot. He yeah. had like a He's like a weaver hit scope the wheel and yeah, on, right. on the modus. He sure did. Yeah, because didn't he like hit the front wheel or something the first shot and like the guy crashes, gets right. off, starts picking up the AKs and yeah. center punches <laughs> them. Crazy, huh? All right. Well, well, man. Um, thank you for having me. It's man. a pleasure to be here. Man, yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, ignore Jay. But <laughs> 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 all right, man. It's a pleasure having you. Absolutely, Jay. You were you were actually a delight today. I appreciate you. Appreciate you. <laughs>